0: This is FX Radio and I'm Andrew Whitfield Cook. And with me on the line today from the US is Stacy Roberts, a former physiotherapist turned herbalist and naturopath. Stacy's been involved in the healthcare industry since 1989 in both conventional and complementary medicine. She's an internationally recognized natural fertility and women's health expert, and she's assisted people in over 32 countries with improving their overall health and well-being by addressing their physical, but also their physiological and psychological health with complementary products and services. Stacey's an international speaker and also a best-selling author. Her book, The Fertility Bible, is available at her clinic and on smartphones as well. She's also co-authored over seven books or eBooks and has featured on television, World News, New York, Current Affair, Oprah, filmed by the Discovery Channel and also Sunrise in Sydney, amongst many others. Stacey took over the Sharkey's Healing Centre in 2004, a clinic that's worked with couples who have created over 6,000 babies while on her program. And most of them were told it would never happen for them. So, Stacey, I'd like to welcome you to the program from the far-flung US.
1: Thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate you having me.
0: Now, I think the first thing is to say, you've done a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I'm 19 years old. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, so I've packed a little bit in in, in um, a period of time, yep, but when you enjoy stuff, you, you kind of go with it, don't you?
0: Yeah, that's right. So you did your physiotherapy training in the U.S., is that right? that's correct yeah whereabouts tell me about it
1: Uh, it at marquette university i started out in pre-med and then found that uh, as a doctor i wouldn't be spending as much time as i would be uh, with the patient so what i found uh, from an injury sports injury myself i found that um, i wanted to create a relationship with the patient that i was seeing so that's what attracted me to physiotherapy after a sports um, medicine or sports injury Uh, i've got uh, exposed to sports medicine and then uh, when I moved to Australia, I wasn't able to practice as a physio, and I was already studying uh, alternative medicine and herbs and supplements and all those wonderful things. And uh, I just decided to take it to the next level and get certified.
0: Now, this really interests me because I come from the sort of medical training myself, and I, I was not a, <laughs> definitely not a supporter of, you know, natural healthcare. Me um, either. In, I yeah.
1: agree, one hundred percent.
0: Great. So, what changed?
1: Well, I mean, uh, I'll go back, you know, in the 1990s when I was a physiotherapist. Yeah. Um, basically, I remember one of my friends t- uh, taking St. John's Wort, and uh, I just was uh, aghast and said, oh, my God, that stuff can kill you. you yeah. know? So that was my mindset from the, the training that I had. But when I had my own health issues after I had my son, Um, I found that there was nothing medically or conventionally that was helping me, and everything was turning up normal. uh, And I know I didn't feel very normal. Um, You know, I was exhausted. I had bowel issues, I had skin issues, but, you know, nothing conventionally could help me. So that's when um, my interest turned to um, natural therapies, and then my interest became more of a uh, pursuit because it did significantly help me, and I saw massive changes.
0: So this is the interesting thing, and this happened with me. Um, What was the point at which you thought, oh, blow it, I'm going to try this stuff that I don't believe in? What was the changing mental aspect?
1: I will never forget it, actually, Andrew. One day someone came by. It was just somebody going door to door in regards to um, selling these supplements. And I thought, oh, this is crazy. You know, this crazy person dropping off these supplements, but it was a pack of information. They left it at my door. Um, I left it there, probably sat there for two or three weeks. In the meantime, I'm feeling worse and worse and worse. Mm. And uh, I just thought, you know, it's not going to hurt me, you know, and nothing else is out there that's helping me. So I'll just try this. And I tried it, and, you know, my ball issues went away. Um, My skin started to clear. uh, And I said, this is crazy. You know, I didn't think there was any research that supported this. But when I started digging through the research myself, I found there was research to support it. It just wasn't, uh, you know in abundant amounts or published in the you know, medical journals mm. that we would normally have used mm. as reference.
0: Mm. I think you, you've touched on two key points with natural medicine. The first one is, you know, it, it won't kill you often. And, you know, with a caveat there that there are certain interactions that you've got to be aware of and it's got to be done responsibly by a healthcare provider suitably trained in natural right. healthcare. Granted mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But natural healthcare is very forgiving. And the other one that you touched on is that uh, there is research out there if you will only look. I I remember, I would not look. I just judged Mm it. So so thanks for that. Mm -hmm. Tell me what happened with the interest in fertility care? What started you on the road with this naturopathic specialty?
1: Well, I had my own issues with um, secondary fertility. So during that time that I wasn't feeling well, um, I was also trying to have my second child, and that wasn't happening. And that was another catalyst for me to look at alternatives as well. Um, And in the meantime, after I was certified and practicing a little bit, I I met Ruth Sharkey. And um, over a six-month period of time, um, she handed her business over to me. And at that time, honestly, Andrew, I had no idea that she was a fertility specialist because I I just never came across her, which today I still think is... is quite odd but um when I took over a clinic and you know she it, she was educating me about her her um ways of doing things, her techniques i uh you know found out that it was majority for fertility and then uh unfortunately my my marriage didn't last our fertility issues um otherwise I'm sure that Um, that would have significantly helped us but what I found was the um, ability to be able to help others and be empathetic towards others because I had been through what they had gone through was was invaluable Um, so I kind of look at it as um, I was meant to experience something like that so I could be much more effective at what I was doing
0: um,
1: what I'm doing in regards to fertility.
0: So Stacey Today, we're going to be discussing a a subspeciality of the fertility care, and that is a potentially devastating condition called preeclampsia. Can you tell me, though, what exactly is this?
1: Well, preeclampsia basically today is being diagnosed with anyone with high blood pressure in pregnancy past the 20 week mark, and then also confirming that there's protein in in the urine when they take the urine sample. So basically, it's a, a very dangerous situation that uh, a pregnant woman can um, get into uh, later in a pregnancy that can lead to, ver- to that can lead to eclampsia, which can You know, leads to seizures and kidney failure and liver failure and all those types of things. So it's a very serious condition, and it's something that um, many are paying much more attention to, to prevent uh, the you know the woman, the pregnant woman, from you know getting into serious trouble during her pregnancy.
0: And how do you differentiate that from eclampsia?
1: Well, eclampsia basically is, is when the blood pressure has been so high for so long that there's going to be some, again, seizures and really serious ramifications in regards to the liver and kidney. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to catch it early so it doesn't get to the point where the woman is experiencing seizures and where her yeah. kidneys and liver are shutting down. So so that would be um, someone who's not monitored well through uh, the pregnancy, and that's why we always encourage, along with seeing a naturopath, that they're seeing their OB and GP, and and uh, getting monitored, uh, and we'll look at blood pressure as well, through to make sure that it's it's not getting up there to where it shouldn't be. Mm.
0: So, what are the and signs? And
1: they're doing the urine test too to see uh, if they would be progressing towards the pre-eclampsia. yeah.
0: Yep. What are the signs and symptoms, though, that you will see in a pregnant woman with pre-eclampsia? What should pregnant women be looking for? And certainly, what should practitioners be doing?
1: Practitioners definitely should be always monitoring blood pressure for the patient and, 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 and always encouraging them to have their blood pressure monitored either at home or in the doctor's office as well, depending on how often they're seeing in their physician. With the signs that someone who's pregnant can look at is, you know, 20 weeks or or around there, or even before there, if their feet and hands and face are swollen. I don't know if you've ever seen someone with high blood pressure during pregnancy, Um, but their their face is distinctive, uh, round and puffy, whereas the rest of their body obviously looks pregnant, but it doesn't kind of look out of place. Their hands can get very very puffy and swollen, as well as their feet. So that's why you know we would always ask you know how are those things going and you know and if you're seeing any changes to see the doctor um, uh, as soon as possible. And also feeling unwell when you have high blood pressure, you might be getting headaches, you know, which is you know not unusual for somebody who's pregnant, right? So that's the reason why it's really important to be seeing your healthcare professionals to monitor the these things such as uh, blood pressure and, and urine output. To make sure that there's
0: no signs of it developing. Mm. I remember we used to always look out for things like blurred vision and the tight wedding ring. Was there... That's
2: right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. That's not, true.
0: Not always uh, available these days with uh, the changing relationships right. that we see in our modern society. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly.
2: <laughs>
0: and a significant portion of women suffer from preeclampsia. Tell me about the risk factors and why this condition is becoming more prevalent.
1: Well, if you look at um, just high blood pressure in general, uh, Andrew Z, that's going up, um, and is a is condition that's worsening all over the world. If you look at stats from the U.S., um, I believe um, it's, you know the number of deaths due to just hypertension. This is not related to pregnancy, but just high blood pressure has increased nearly 62% from the year 2000 up until the uh, 2013. So the fact that we're experiencing high blood pressure even outside of pregnancy, uh, the risk factors would be similar to what, to what those that are in pregnancy, such as obesity, uh, and obviously women are gonna be gaining weight during pregnancy. Some women will think they can eat whatever they want when they're pregnant, or will not pay as close attention to what they're eating, and mm-hmm. also because they're feeling sometimes very horrible. Uh, in the beginning, uh, they're looking for carbs and sugary foods to kind of help regulate their blood pressure, and, yep. or excuse me, their blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things can eventually lead to um, you know, insulin sensitivity and then insulin resistance. And then you um, you know, are at more risk for the gestational diabetes, which is also increasing for women. So a lot of it is related to dietary issues. The other thing is um, thyroid and adrenal issues. So what they find in, in some of the um, tests, well, when they look at uh, women who are normal intensive during their pregnancy, where their high blood pressure is fine throughout the pregnancy, they notice that there's an absence of placental cortisol. So there's no cortisol really present uh, when they look at the placenta. But women who have the preeclampsia, what happens is that the cortisol is Significantly elevated. So, there's some type of stress on the system yeah. causing the adrenals to be producing significant amounts of cortisol. So, stress, both from what we're eating, because our, our diets, unfortunately, um, are not where they should be. Um, so, and again, in pregnancy, there can be a higher risk of that because of the cravings and not feeling well during pregnancy. Nutritional deficiencies also can be an issue that are exacerbated as well through pregnancy um, because of the different things that we, that women are tending to eat or not eat mm. when they're pregnant. Mm. Um, so there's many different areas that are, are adding to the uh, ish, the increased incidence. It
0: seems to me like it's a condition of the 21st century with our high sugar carb diet and high stress.
1: Right. And you know what? I think that the medical... Um, uh, system is also doing a better job of monitoring and checking for it as well too so uh, that they can catch it early enough and that it can be uh, reversed so that it doesn't become uh, eclampsia to be, and become a large problem.
0: So yeah. I think that's also a part of the issue. Okay so let's talk about treatment of preeclampsia mm-hmm. both the medical and the natural therapies that go along with it. What do you include? What do you do?
1: For myself, I can't really speak to the medical aspect of it, obviously not being a physician, but uh, you know I know that they would give a blood pressure medication uh they would look at uh, sometimes they would look at the person's diet, they'd obviously be screening for gestational diabetes and doing all those things from a naturopathic point of view we what we want to do is not get is prevention from the get go so seeing somebody when they're pregnant and talking to them about their eating plan, getting the sugar out um giving them other uh other things to take if they're nauseous in that first trimester instead of so going to those carbs and, and foods. So that could include things like ginger. Um in the first trimester there's um you know controversy of what you should give in regards to herbals and things in the first trimester so I tend to stay away from a lot of herbs unless I've, unless they're my patient and I know how they react to herbs mm. if I've not seen them before and they just come to me for pregnancy I'm a lot more cautious because I you know I don't know how they're going to react to certain herbs so in that case again I really focus on their eating plan and supplementation so there's some really effective supplements that will help with, uh, with preventing and getting to the point where uh, they're experiencing the preeclampsia
0: and what about things like stress management and and the psychosocial aspects? What do you do there?
1: Absolutely. We talk about, uh, you know, in our fertility program, we're already addressing those things. So if there are women who have been through our fertility program, they're doing our five-step fertility solution, mm-hmm. uh, which includes the fifth step is stress management yeah. uh, to manage their stressors. Now, remember that stress is also stress that we're putting on our body through what we're eating. So that's our number one uh, step is You know, your eating plan. So, again, even though you're pregnant, you want to make sure that your eating plan is optimal with balancing your proteins, your good carbs, and your good fats, because those are all very important in regards to managing your blood sugar levels decreasing inflammation and decreasing your cortisol response, or I should say really balancing your cortisol response. Yeah. So we we want to do a good job of educating the patient what they can do in regards to managing the physiological stress that just comes from what they're eating and what they're exposing themselves to, but also the, the emotional stress. what they're dealing with maybe it's a first pregnancy maybe they're trying to renovate their house while they're going through this maybe their relationship isn't great so we also do you know things in regards to stress management you know recommend pregnancy yoga meditation visualization Uh, just you know being so many people are so busy these days they don't even have a chance to kind of be and Women are working all the way through pregnancy, many times. So you know that it becomes very taxing on their system as well, too. So um, helping them learn how to manage that stress is very, very important.
0: Women are often the human doings, not the human beings, aren't they? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, do you? What sort of supplements do you use when um, applicable?
1: It depends on the case. Everybody's going to be individual. Um, looking overall. At their situation, but pretty much what everyone can do, and this has been shown to be beneficial in regards to uh, helping to—I don't want to say regulate blood pressure, but keep keeping blood pressure in the normal area—would be probiotics. Probiotics have had some significant studies over the last, you know, five to ten years, and now it's just from here. the next 10 or 20 years, the the research on probiotics is going to be booming. They're finding specific strains that are addressing specific disease states, and it's just amazing the things that are going on in regards to probiotics. But any good multi-strain probiotic that a patient can get on through pregnancy is going to help with her gut health, her immune system, and just going to help overall uh, manage inflammation and get more nutrients into our system. So if we're dealing with nutrient deficiencies, we obviously want to get more of those nutrients in through the gut into the system. So probiotics are excellent mm-hmm. in regards to that. Fish oil is another thing that uh, women can take to help with decreasing inflammation. It's been shown in a few studies um, to um, be effective to prevent preeclampsia. Uh, there's a few studies that show if you start fish oil later on, though, after you know, the, the blood pressure is elevated, that it's not as effective. So, again, prevention is really the key, starting them on fish oil if they're not already on it, prior to pregnancy, great for her, for the baby's development. You know, there's so many beneficial uh, um, outcomes that you can get from taking a good quality fish oil supplement that has been tested and has been um, gone through the process where they remove as much of the heavy metals as possible in the fish oil. Yeah. The other um, supplements that I always look at is the calcium and magnesium because those are really important for relaxing the arteries and being able to uh, help control and help regulate blood pressure as well too um, but you know if someone is insulin resistant you can give them all the magnesium you want if insulin isn't getting into the cell the chances of magnesium getting into the cell is really minimal because insulin helps magnesium get in the cell so we're just going to be uh, it's just going to be exiting our body if we're not uh, regulating that blood sugar those blood sugar levels to uh, minimize insulin resistance and to make the body more insulin sensitive
0: so tell me what you use then um to help magnesium to be more effective. So you concentrate on the diet first?
1: Right. The diet needs to be good first. We need to see that the blood sugar levels are, are normalizing, that insulin levels are good, so that we can be confident that magnesium is actually going to be getting absorbed into the system. And then we also look at you know, the form of magnesium that we're using. I'm partial to the powders versus the tablets mm. because they tend to be absorbed Does. better. Mm. However, you know, good magnesium citrate is, should be absorbable um, in either form, but I am partial to the um, powders. and And what you find is, like we said that you know before, that the natural medicine can be more forgiving. We know that when we're taking too much magnesium, because we start to get loose bowels and diarrhea. So there definitely are signs when to back off and you know, decrease the dose. Yeah, um, and then uh, you know, then we're monitoring throughout to see if it's being it's effective or not.
0: I remember years ago some research um, looking at either calcium or magnesium, and the the research on magnesium was done by Guy Abrahams. Uh, small, there, mm-hmm. All of them were sort of smaller trials, whereas the research, mm-hmm. the medical sort of uh, line was leaning towards calcium, and the research there was done by a lady. I can't remember her first name, but it was Thiz Jacobs. And so... Mm-hmm you know, there, there's this sort of juxtaposed opinion as to calcium or magnesium. Tell me how uh-huh. you use these two because there's this old naturopathic axiom about the two-to-one calcium-magnesium ratio, which oh, I'm sorry I don't adhere to. <laughs> but what, do you, what no, do you, what's, your, what's your thoughts?
1: I, well, Andrew, there's what we learn in school and which, which we always have to get, you know, that baseline to understand, you know, what we learn from the books and then what we look at through clinical practice. And I guess what I do, again, is really look at the patient. I look and see overall what they're eating as we can see overall what supplements are they already on you know i really want them on a good you know pregnancy multivitamin while they're going through pregnancy and i'll have them on a good high potency antioxidant multivitamin before pregnancy and usually continue that right through Mm. along with the fish oil and the probiotic so i'll look at the two to one ratio but then you know assess whether that is appropriate for that particular patient so i don't really go by a standard formula formula to give to everybody because everybody's so individualized so you know like i said if i do the two to one of calcium magnesium uh, but somebody's insulin resistant it's just not going to be effective Mm. um so i want to you know again look at the whole person the big picture in order to decide you know what ratio or or which mineral i'm going to give more of off of the base that i'm already having them on Mm. so i'm not a person that will, will give them you know zinc or magnesium or calcium in in these you know single doses i'm a big believer in synergy these these vitamins in in the plant they work in synergy Hmm. Uh, so we want them to work in synergy in our supplementation as well so uh, we have a base formulation that we give in regards to the antioxidant and uh, multi-mineral and then we look at over and above that uh, what they may need in regards to calcium magnesium um, or any other zinc is also a great mineral to use as well too for relaxing blood vessels as well so there's a lot of different things that we can do and we can look at blood tests and we can look at um, uh, ways of testing whether they're low or in certain nutrients and certainly vitamin d is now getting a huge amount of uh, support for mm. its use um, making sure that we're not deficient in vitamin d because that seems to be impacting every cell in our body when we are so you know there's research coming out about you know vitamin d levels and and blood sugar regulation and and blood pressure regulation and the cardio protective effects of it so you know there's so many different um things that we can look at Mm. we assess those through blood tests or urine tests as well Mm. even some people are using the um hair mineral analysis to see if there you know some deficiencies as well um i'd like to i don't like to use one of those
0: uh,
1: in by itself i like to use a couple different tests to see if we see the same things in each of them
0: yeah I think that's a great thing about tests in general. Don't look at the test for the mm-hmm. answer. Use it to validate your, your decision.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, the epigenetics is a hugely exploding area of interest absolutely. in all conditions, but mm-hmm. especially relevant to preeclampsia and fertility with the methylation issues. Oh,
1: tell absolutely. me. Tell, yep. Talk
0: to me about that. Tell me what you see and, and how you treat stuff.
1: Well, there's a lot of different things that you look at. Again, it depends on whether you're seeing the patient prior to becoming pregnant um, or just when when they are pregnant. Uh, you want to make sure that their methylation system is working as well as possible. And some people don't uh, have, you know, the MTHFR gene a uh, genetic um, defect, either homozygous or heterozygous, and that will make them less that will give them less ability to absorb regular folic acid. So we want to make sure that they're utilizing folic acid and B vitamins that are, that are supportive for their system. Again, that's going to be part of the, the base program that they would be on anyway. But if they have one of those issues, either heterozygous or homozygous, in regards to MTHFR, for example, then we're going to be looking at doing methylated folate or some uh, folinic acid, which is much more available in Australia uh, than the methylated folate. Yep. So I would be looking at utilizing that as well. Again, looking at the whole picture uh, to see if that particular person needs it, and another way to look at that is, is through blood testing of homocysteine. So, the research is showing that homocysteine levels are normal, and I don't mean normal by blood test because normal by mm. blood test is zero to fifteen, and yeah. once you get over nine, mm. once you get Too over high. nine, it doubles your risk of heart attack and stroke. And I don't I don't know, but I don't consider that normal. So no. I'd like to have people uh, under the level of 7 or 8 for homocysteine. And that at least gives me more confidence that the folic acid that they're getting through their foods and their system, that they're actually, their body's actually utilizing that. Their homocysteine levels are starting to creep up, and I'll switch to something that I know is going to be much more absorbable, which would be, uh, in, in Australia, which would be the folinic acid.
0: Yeah. What interests me is, you know, like years ago when I sort of started down the road of natural medicine and I guess a few years into that it became um, standard therapy to use folic acid with all pregnant women um, mm-hmm. and it was folic acid and on a population basis that prevents um, neural tube defects. But right. what we're seeing now is this: uh, these epigenetic... SNPs mm-hmm. affect a certain population or a certain subgroup of the population, which we might not have been able mm-hmm. to tease out the results. So I guess my question mm-hmm. is, how have you found your practice changing now that we're looking at these subpopulations and epigenetics? Do you look for them or do you wait to see if there's a, a symptom that pops up that says, oh, I'm going to look at you in a different way or... How do you how do you identify these potential SNPs?
1: There's two aspects to that, Andrew. At least in my opinion, one is the cost to the patient. Um, so I certainly um, could recommend you know a hundred tests for them to do prior to coming to me or when I first see them, you know, to look at if there's gene mutations and this, or, and to do some urine analysis. There's Healthscope which has some great great testing um, as well but what I try to do is I try to keep costs down for the patient and look for the red flags. So, um, do they have issues with implantation? And this is for fertility now. So did they have issues with implantation? So did they have recurrent miscarriages? Did they have any uh, clotting issues that they know of? Is there any clotting issues or heart issues in their family? You know, the things that in their family history that we assess to see if they might be, you know, uh, epigenetically, if you will, on the road, dealing with the same types of things that were overlooked in their, and their parents or their grandparents are or that kind of have morphed over the years uh into you know present-day people running around the earth um so i'll look at all that before i would recommend specific tests and then if i'm knocking my head against the wall and going okay you know this isn't working they're not getting pregnant then i'll go into doing well these tests haven't been done let's look at those as well and some patients will say look i want all the tests done right away i don't care what it costs and you know then we would go through the more common. uh gene mutations if you will that could be impacting or that we've got good research on to show that you know these particular nutrients will help them um but I don't do it for everybody across the board um from the standpoint of it's if I did probably Sixty to fifty to sixty percent of them wouldn't have needed to spend that money in the first place, mm. and possibly then a bit larger percentage, depending on where we're talking about, what country we're we're talking about.
0: Yeah, and I think I think it would definitely impact on their stress management. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely.
1: <laughs> And then the other aspect is, you know, I mean, companies like yours have such great, you know, biophobics have such great education that over the years, uh, I've learned so much from the speakers that you guys have had. So that also helps me zero in on, on identifying the particular patients that would be tend to be more at risk. Um, and then, you know, suggest those tests to those patients based on, on their history and their what they're you know, presenting in front of me. But certainly if somebody is, is um, dealing with or, has a, or has polycystic ovaries, for instance, that's another risk factor for preeclampsia. So I would definitely, if they haven't been already tested in regards to their home cysteine or their THFR, I would tend to look at that more in somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Or if they've had a previous pregnancy where they've had gestational diabetes um, or preeclampsia, you know, those are the things that I'd be looking at to see what would be the obvious necessary test to look at, see whether they need to spend the extra money on the folic acid versus just having the normal folic acid. Mm. And another issue that's that's also really not talked about at all, Andrew, is the, the male side of the thing as well, too, oh, in regards to uh, the neural tube defects and the folic acid. They're finding now that, you know, men who have low levels of folic acid can have issues with their sperm, but also that can also lead to issues with neural tube defects in the baby as well. And that, you know, nobody's ever talked about that. That's mm. only in the last two or three years. I've been harping on it for for a decade, but finally in the research, we're starting to see that, oh, yeah, the the guys are important. Their Mm -hmm. sperm does make a difference. Yeah,
0: three months (laughs) beforehand.
1: Yeah, exactly. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on about the epigenetics and also epigenetics from the standpoint of the emotional as well and the emotional stress. So we look at it as, you know, above the gene and how our thought processes and how we're dealing with stress are impacting our genes as well as how they switch on and off. And that goes all the way down to the cortisol levels and whether there's too much cortisol or too little cortisol based on how how our body is managing and handling stress.
0: I did want to go back a little bit. You you spoke a little bit about vitamin D and, you know, vitamin D. Vitamin D, as we Mm -hmm. know, um, because of its extreme safety, they're now restricting the testing for vitamin D because we're wasting millions Mm -hmm. of dollars rather than just using safe and appropriate dosages. And Mm -hmm. I remember Jenny Gunton at Westmead uh, Hospital used 5,000 IU in, I think, Mm -hmm. pre-diabetic or or uh, ladies with gestational diabetes, whereas Bruce Hollis used 4,000 IU, but our... Standard Australian things are 1 to 2,000 IU. Tell me what dose you use. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you dose that?
1: This, this has changed actually just recently. So uh, there's a, a recent study, um, and I hopefully remember that before we finish this discussion, but a recent study in regards to vitamin D and the actual proper dosage of vitamin D uh, for people. And it turns out that when they look at people on average, they're getting about 2,000 IUs IU from the foods that they're eating. Um they're not obviously they're not getting much from the sun because we're lathering up in sunscreen. Slip slap, flop, is that what it's called yep. in Australia, yep. right? And working we're, indoors we're at lunch. We're lathering up in sunscreen and working indoors and we're not getting out very often, especially in the mid afternoon when, you know, the, the vitamin D creation in our system would be the highest if we were exposed. So they looked at that and said about 2,000 IUs are coming from food and they look at the optimal dose would be about 6,000 IUs throughout for each day. Um, So anywhere between 4,000 and 5,000 IUs, I I have recommended 4,000 for the last few years and will continue to do so based on this recent recommendation. Mm But again, that might be too low for somebody who is deficient. So that's where we've got to look at their vitamin D levels while they're pregnant. I do that before they become pregnant for fertility and then ask them to ask their doctors or monitor that occasionally during pregnancy to make sure. Because again, we're not having, hopefully, these women who are pregnant sunbaking um, throughout nice. uh, their pregnancy. So... Um, they're not going to be out in the sun probably either because I'm feeling uncomfortable in the heat and yada yada for mm-hmm. some of them. Mm-hmm. So we want to test that to make sure that they're getting enough through to prevent pre and eclampsy from occurring in the pregnancy. But that would be where I would start. That's the dose that i been having my people on through pregnancy. And then if, they, if there's evidence of a deficiency, however, it might be a, a larger dose than that to get them up to where we want them to be, which um, is about between
0: 80 and 100 yeah the doses that were the the serum levels if we if we were going to measure them they've got to be a lot higher than the 50 nanomoles uh, per litre that was previously recommended yeah absolutely so how long how long do you find it typically takes if if somebody is um, adherent to the guidelines that you propose how long does it usually take to get preeclampsia under control
1: Uh, We do start seeing an improvement. Again, if they're following to the letter, if they're working on their eating plan, if they're able to exercise to a degree to keep their blood sugar levels regulated, if their thyroid function is optimal and their physician is treating the thyroid if necessary, if all the ducks are in a row... We will see an improvement in the blood uh, in the blood pressure levels uh, within one to two weeks, three weeks at the most. And if we're not seeing that, that's when you know if the patient has decided they didn't want to do the blood pressure medication. If the doctor had recommended that, that's where I start saying, "Look, you know, you need to really talk to your physician about whether you need to go on that." For safety's sake because it's still climbing and we're doing everything possible then that's where I think naturopathic and conventional medicine can work very well together is we utilize um, them together to help the patient I think it, it makes a huge difference so it needs to be closely monitored once it's discovered, and they're on the, the you know holistic program, if you will, um, by both the doctor and the naturopath to make sure that the improvements are happening within that one to three week mark. So we don't want anything to get to a point where it's you know uh, unable to be controlled uh, without very large doses of of medications.
0: Hmm. You've mentioned thyroid, and this is mm-hmm. uh, I think it's probably another whole podcast. But can you give us some brief uh, tips about what do you do there to normalize thyroid function or to support thyroid function?
1: Sure. Well, we we have a bit of an advantage because over the last decade, what I've been doing with my patients is, is looking at their thyroid levels, not just their TSH levels, but their free T4 and free T3 levels. And I started doing this because um, a patient of mine came in to see me and she had was told um, from the same doctor, one test she had done, she said, uh, your thyroid medication is um, a little bit high we don't need to do anything about it so or excuse me it was a little bit high we need to adjust it but the patient said and she's she was basing this on the serum on the serum levels that she saw for TSH and T4 yeah. and the patient said look you know I feel really good can I come back in like six weeks and get this read you know get the test redone and then see where it's at and the doctor said yep that's fine it's not in any crazy range or anything like that so they came back and the the result was tsh was actually higher than what it was before and the um doctor looked at the test and said no oh, no you're you're fine you're good and the patient said well, what wait a minute when it was high last week or sorry six weeks ago then you said i needed to be adjusted but now it's even higher what's going on and when she came and brought the blood testing to me it was at two different pathology labs and the normal level was different from one pathology lab to the other yeah. so in one pathology lab she was being diagnosed with hypothyroid, in another pathology lab she was being diagnosed as normal, so it was crazy, so I started taking um uh, blood sampler, not taking blood, I'm recommending that patients get their thyroid tested, both TSH, free T4, and free T3, and sometimes reverse T3, uh, every few months that they're seeing me. And then right before, when they tell me that they're pregnant, I have them get that blood test done again, and then I compare that to the previous one. So we have what we call our optimal levels for thyroid function, and 90% of the time they're within normal limits. So uh, they're just a much smaller range and a much more consistent range than what we see in different pathology labs. So it's based on our population of fertility. So that's what I then based it on through pregnancy and also obviously how they're feeling through pregnancy and you know, weight gain and, and all that type of stuff that's going on and the, how the baby's progressing. Um, so this isn't really quick, Andrew, but I'm doing the best that I can. Um so <laughs> if, if, if If the thyroid, in particular, T4 levels look like they're low or lowering through pregnancy or lower than what they were when we looked at our baseline, then we'll look at things like iodine support and supplementation. Uh, We'll look at zinc and selenium and chromium. Again, it really depends on how they're presenting. But also, we've got to consider the adrenal. So if their cortisol levels are up or even too low uh, and their adrenal function is out of whack through pregnancy for whatever reason, just the physiological stress from their eating or whatever's is you know, happening in regards to their body or the emotional stress, that will also pull down thyroid function. Hmm. So we've got to look at those two together and we've got to um, uh, maximize uh, those as well. So it is a whole another podcast, Andrew. There's specific you know, things that I look at in regards to nutrients and, and herbs as well, too. Some great adaptogens yeah. that can be used later in pregnancy to help with both the adrenals and the thyroid. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's just so much that goes into that. Um, and when I when I uh, do my fertility mentoring program through you guys through, with, uh, with bioceutical support, I'll be teaching the naturopaths and natural therapists specifically what to do with our adrenal function for both fertility as well as through pregnancy.
0: Well, there you go. I think we need to explore another podcast
1: right here and now. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> sounds
0: very good. So, just briefly, Stacey. What cautions and caveats can you give the listeners? For instance, when do you think it's not relevant to treat somebody with preeclampsia and to refer on?
1: Always be, refer on if, number one, you're not familiar with it. You know, if someone comes into your clinic, you don't do a lot with pregnancy, and you're not sure what, what the heck to do or which herbs to use, um, then absolutely refer on. Uh, number two is um, if it is... Significantly high, very far advanced um i would I would rather see the patient being on a low level of blood pressure medication to normalize that blood pressure and then um and along with that I mean working with their their diet and their well their eating plan and their supplementation program to support um you know them able to come off of that with under their doctor's care and their doctor's supervision, if wanted, um, leading up to delivery or after, depending on what the OB decides is the most appropriate um, uh, step. So based on my experience, because I've been doing this for over a decade, I don't know that there's ever going to be a situation where I'm not going to do, give them some naturopathic suggestion, whether it's just simply what they're eating. Uh, We look at nutritional supplements or um, herbs. I'm going to look at some aspect of that for them. Hmm. Uh, However, I'm not going to solely rely on that if it looks as though the blood pressure is way out of control or not regulating or they have a significant history of that. I'm always going to be willing to work in conjunction with the physician to monitor that with me. So
0: that we're all on the same page. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure does. Stacey, I've got to thank you for taking us through. I, and I, you know, I get—we really do need to explore another podcast with, with some more of this thing. So <laughs> we'll we'll welcome you back at another at another time.
2: Thanks, Andrew. But
0: I really thank you for taking us through. You know, the minerals that you use, some probiotics, which I, I totally agree is an exploding area of research and so exciting. But very importantly, mm. the emotional aspects that we need to concentrate on the dietary aspects absolutely. Um, because it's such a 21st century disease or condition
1: mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. absolutely i totally agree
0: so Stacey roberts thank you so much for joining us today this is fx radio and i'm andrew whitfield cook